This is Mindframe, a podcast of mind-bending science fiction. I'm Dave Moten. I'm the author of Mindframe, and I am also the narrator of all of the chapters. And with me, as always, is Brent Van Tassel, my producer extraordinaire and the maestro of all things social media. We are a Podbelly original, which means that we are produced and brought to you by Podbelly.com, which is an amazing website to go to if you want to find some information about podcasting. If you're considering starting a podcast, there's great uh, information there, tutorials, how-tos, good advice on tech you should get, etc. And it's also a great storehouse of really cool podcasts that you can go and listen to, um, including Mindframe. Uh, we are brought to you by El Yucateco Hot Sauce. Uh, we bring it to you not just because we're getting paid to, but because we genuinely, genuinely love this hot sauce. Um, if you if you like uh, heat in your food, El Yucateco is the place to go. It's not just hot for hot sake. There's an amazing flavor profile. There's various flavors with various heat levels. Um, so check it out. You can usually find it at a regular grocery store or at a local Mexican uh, grocer. Uh, but you can also get it online at elucateco.com, etc. But they are our primary sponsor. We're proud to have them on board, and we love their products. So go check out uh, El Yucateco. Um, if you like hot sauce, if you don't like it, go check it out anyway. Buy a bottle and gift it to the person in your life who likes hot sauce, and they will be smacked in the mouth with flavor. So check them out. Um, if you like what you've been listening to on uh on Mindframe, then please consider joining us on Patreon. As we've said before, uh, the sit-down episodes are available at the Patreon level only, and we do them every single week. So myself and Zach Smith and Brent sit down, talk about the episodes, answer some questions, create more questions. Uh, we talk about everything from current science fiction to writer's block to everything in the middle. So if you're interested, then definitely go check it out. So this chapter, we come back around to Josephine in The Old Dame, and uh, where we left her, she was uh, having some strange dreams, hallucinations, or visions, or truths, or something was going on um, that was making her reality not seem quite so real. And she was, of course, sitting around waiting for um, her Uncle Alfie to show up uh, and see how things would, would turn out that way. So let's uh, turn our attention back to Josephine and uh, see what's going on. Chapter 16. Josephine circa 2011. Josephine clearly wasn't well. It was more than the panic attacks. It was more than the bad dreams of wars that never were, or even the hallucinations of ghosts in her stairwells that may have turned out to be dreams as well. It was more than any of that. She wasn't well. But it wasn't just her, was it? This place wasn't well. This life. She had reached a point where she didn't even know herself. There was this hotel and this mountain, this bereavement and these dogs, but there was no real past. There was no true Josephine, wherever she looked for herself. She started to feel like a sketch, a resonant thing that was dreamed up at the last minute, not a figure fully formed. The work helped, of course. It passed time with her myopic focus on tiny tiles she had to cut and lay in endless hotel suite bathrooms. The prep, the cleanup, the shower after. It killed whole swaths of confusing days, but when she'd let herself fall still, like the snow accumulating on the pines, she couldn't find any truth. She thought about texting Teddy, telling him Mars needs truth. He'd have no idea what in the hell that meant. Surely he already thought she was batshit crazy, so she didn't want to add to that impression. Plus, he was probably busy with his visitor by now. 
The sun had gone down, so Josephine pulled her curtains shut. They were real curtains now, not construction tarps. She thought about texting Teddy about that as well. Just a quick thank you. She could talk to Teddy. He'd shrug off her weirdness with a smirk and keep the conversation going on its original track. She found it odd that she could be as close to so handsome a man as Teddy and not be getting a crush on him. He wasn't a romantic figure. He was just Teddy. God bless him. Her friendship with him was true. That was one thing she knew. But there didn't seem to be much else. Her mind felt like it was always filled with smoke. She had to clear it. Had to banish the uncertain and find a ground on which to poise. So she decided she'd make a list. A physical paper that she could hold and scratch items from and pin to a fridge. Something that could remind her of the important things and last beyond her dreams and phantasms. She took out an old stationery pad. It was from the dame, stuffed into bedside drawers and next to the phones on small desks in all the guest suites. It was stored in a basement that didn't get any fire or water damage, so there were dozens of boxes of the stuff. The true name of the hotel was embossed on the top, along with an old hand-drawn image of the dame. Joe put the pad on her desk and took up a Lamy fountain pen with a purple ink that she had grown accustomed to since she used one of Guillermo's. She started the list by drawing a line down the middle of the page. On the left, she named the column Knowns. On the right, Unknowns. She thought it best to start with the basics. On the left side, she started with her name, Josephine Wu. She stared at it for a beat. Longer. Too long. It wasn't right. She crossed it out with the sharp tip of her pen. In the unknowns column, she then wrote Josephine Campana with a question mark. Her name became a series of thens. Then it dawned on her. Josephine Barbeau. Then, she crossed out Josephine and replaced it with Joe. Then, in the known column, Joe Barbeau. And then, she crossed out Joe. Even that version of the name was not complete. But there was a last name, at least. Something that felt real. Barbeau. Muffet barked as if something scary was up the hall. Josephine, no, Joe. No, Barbeau scolded the dog into submission and kept making the list. Half Chinese, half British, she wrote in the known column. But that wasn't right either. Wu was Chinese. She was Barbeau. The other day after the scare in the stairwell, she saw herself for the first time as Chinese, but not Chinese, and she couldn't unsee it. It wasn't right. Her family came from France. Porthos started to howl, the cute howl when singing along with Josephine as she painted and sang a loud song. Barbeau, as she painted. Porthos and Muffet were trying to distract her, she realized. Every time she bumped into the truth of her life, something, often the dogs, distracted her. No more. She scooted them out into the hallway and shut the door on them, ignoring their instant whines and scratches on the door. Knowns. Widow. She was once married to Guillermo Campana. That one felt right. She left it there. Knowns. From the United States, not Chinese. She was from the United States. She crossed it out. The U.S. was dissolved after the war. But she was from America, right? She was from the city and then moved to the mountain. Which was suddenly and overwhelmingly ridiculous. What city? What state? What mountain range? Lake Akunga was nearby. That was it. 
her entire location? She crossed all of it out and added the word location to the unknown column. The dogs whined and started to scratch more furiously. She grabbed her iPod and slid in the white earbuds, knowing the old thing would only last for a few minutes before the battery died. She cranked the volume on an old U2 song she could never remember the name of because it was only there since it was prepackaged on her iPod. She couldn't hear the dogs anymore. Knowns, age 41, yes. Knowns, mother and father. She had a mother and father, French and American. When she was young, they wore uniforms as they left for work, combat uniforms with a logo that said GPF on them, though she couldn't remember what branch of the military that must be. She was so tired. Unknowns. Family of any type. Brothers, sisters, cousins, aunts, nothing. She could hear the dogs through the music. Turned it up. Knowns. Academy training to work on an oceanic naval vessel. Knowns. Tested high and received framer training instead. Unknowns. What is a framer? Underlined several times. Unknowns. What the fuck is wrong with me? three exclamation points. The iPod died suddenly. She heard the sound fade to a strange, brief tone that fell mute as the hard drive quit. The dogs were howling and scratching so furiously it worried her. One was whining as if seriously hurt, physically. She leapt up and opened the door, and they were both sitting, perfectly still and silent, several feet up the hallway, passively looking at her. They casually walked into her bedroom and took their place to go to sleep. She felt overwhelmingly fatigued and stumbled to the bed before her brain booted down as suddenly as her iPod had moments ago. Barbeau finished the last bites of two Weetabix she had crumbled into some vanilla almond milk. She still called it almost milk instead of almond milk due to a humorous typo one time when she made a shopping list for Guillermo. She thought about crumbling a third biscuit into the milk because she woke up hungry after a strange dream about making a list and the dogs being very much not like dogs. There was no list when she woke up, so it was all just another bad dream. Something hazy she could only touch the outer reaches of. She decided against more cereal since the last bites of these Weetabix were pulpy and somehow grainy at the same time, so it turned her off. She followed it with a banana that was maybe a day ahead of where she liked it. Her coffee was cold, but she gagged the last gulp down and set to work for the morning. Barbeau's iPod had lost functionality over the years as it succumbed to the planned obsolescence of all modern technology. It was no longer able to sync with any of her computers, no longer able to hold a charge. She was determined not to let it break her heart. It was an anniversary present, engraved on its chrome back with the words always, Guillermo. And she was tired of having no music to listen to, so she switched over to her phone. It didn't have quite the data capacity of a single-purpose iPod, but it held anything in her library that she cared about. By the time she was done with breakfast, a decent amount of music had transferred from her computer to her phone, enough to make her happy. The discovery of her phone as a musical device, not just a means to play Angry Birds or call Teddy, and Mr. Fike, the grocer, and nobody else really, suddenly changed her world. With music and earbuds, instead of getting an hour or two of construction a day, her playlists could see her through twice that. The iPod had failed her, so maybe this next iteration of the thing would see her through. The familiar voices of her favorite singers were as if she had friends around, 
someone to gossip with as she mixed the tubs of thin set with a power drill, mastered the use of the wet tile saw, and even laid some decorative patterns down in the summer wing bathrooms. She was an hour into her workday, getting righteously pumped by calls to action by Muse, but the dog started in. If it were just Muffet barking, Barbeau wouldn't care. That girl could bark at any creek, shadow, or drift of soft snow falling from the eaves. But Porthos joined in, and he only barked when he had something to say. Barbeau pulled the earbuds out and listened to see if there was anything worth barking at, paused, heard nothing, and prepared to chastise the dogs. The moment she opened her mouth to quell the yelping, she heard the brass dinner bell on the front patio ring. She psychically apologized to the dogs and then grew paranoid. Who was calling on her up here on the mountain? Teddy was away all week with an old friend, and no grocery deliveries were due. Was it someone from Lake Akunga with boat problems? A grifter or a drug user or someone with ill will? After all she'd been through recently, the bad dreams, the impossible thoughts, her once tough skin felt like the annoyingly thin tunic paper of an onion. Come on, pups, she said, whipping them both up. They sprinted ahead of her, down the stairs and toward the front door. At least if some sort of creep was ringing, the dogs would hopefully make them think twice. They might have been beagles, but they sounded like full-sized, wicked Labradors when they started in. Barbeau considered a trip to the gun safe, but thought it to be foolish overkill. Instead, she slid a wicked-looking drywall hammer and a long, sharp screwdriver into the slots on her overalls and headed downstairs. She kept her phone in her hand in case she had to call 911, though first responders would never get up the mountain in time to keep her from getting chopped into tiny little pieces. She got to the lobby and spied a look through one of the windows. There was a young woman with a puffy black down jacket, a vintage army duffel bag on her back, and a brown canvas satchel across her stomach. She had short black hair tucked under a white cap and wore jeans that were soaking from melted snow. Barbeau relaxed about the visitor being an evildoer, as if women were somehow incapable of evil, and opened the door. Hi, the gal said, staring as if she were trying to permanently fix Barbeau's face into her memory, as if this were a very important moment. You're her. And dogs. They're two dogs? I did not expect that. They are. Hi yourself, Barbeau said, starting to think the hammer may not have been a bad idea. Claire. No, I'm Josephine, she replied. That name felt stillborn coming out of her mouth, but it was a reflex. No, I'm Claire. I came up a few days ahead of your uncle because he had business down the mountain. Clarabelle! Barbeau leapt forward and hugged this girl, her niece, she supposed, though not by blood. Suddenly, the stranger was family. In fact, she was Guillermo. The same eyes, wide enough to be a cartoon drawing the same fine nose, the same round chin. Her face was exactly as beautiful as Guillermo's was handsome. It's amazing to finally meet you. And this place, I did not expect it. And apparently, I'm soaking wet. This is too much. Oh my gosh, get in here. Let me take that, Barbo said, shouldering the pack. You must be freezing cold. Claire said, I am, yes, now that you mention it. And these are your dogs? The one who, stop it, Muffet, stop. The barking one is Muffet. The sniffing one is Porthos. She'll pee if you pet her right now, so you know, don't. Too cute. I don't get to spend any time with dogs, which is... Is that a cellular phone? 
Did you need to make a call, Barbeau said, suddenly aware she was still holding her phone in case the visitor was a psychopathic meth head. If so, the landline is much more reliable. The closest one is behind the front desk. No, no, I'm just trying to get things straight, Claire said, looking around in an odd bewilderment. Such an old building. It makes your clothes and phone seem anachronistic. She is old. Come on in here. Let me show you your room. I've got some sweats you can change into if you don't want to unpack. I'll put on some coffee, cocoa, tea. I'd love a tea. White or oolong, herbal, green. Guillermo had quite a stash of the gourmet stuff. Anything would be grand. Too much bad American coffee of late. Barbeau got the tea tray ready. An elaborate ancient silver thing from the dame's presidential suite. She put on a pot of oolong and let it seep in the small kitchen in her apartment. She went to check on Clarabelle. Claire, she'd insisted on being called, and found her changed into the dry sweats and sweater she was provided. Claire was in the hallway, closely scrutinizing a variety of power tools as if she'd never seen one before. Tea's almost ready. I've got some cookies too, but I could drum up something more substantial if you're hungry. No, the cookies sound fine. Barbeau led her from the hotel suite Claire was going to call home into her own private apartment that she and the dogs inhabited. She poured them each a tea, sat at the small, rustic table, and said, Feel free to come in here to fix food anytime, day or night. The only other kitchens are the main industrial kitchen and the one out back of the winter wing. Their cupboards are bare, and they take forever to fire up. Claire stood looking at the wall calendar where Barbeau had written Alfie and Clarabelle's arrival date and had circled it in red. Claire seemed fascinated by the calendar, the microwave, the tea service. She sat with a wide smile. Barbeau noted that Claire was indeed pretty, but not what she expected. She was waiting for an earthy, crunchy granola type, someone used to roughing it and living in tents and yurts while she built third world housing. She expected the scent of patchouli and a wild haircut and crazy footwear. But Claire was a simple young woman, her clothes sensible, her hair utterly mundane and pulled into a tight bun. She was muscular and short. She was thick, but not in a way that made her sexually unappealing. It was almost like looking at an Olympian who had a really built body, but one built for a single sport, a single purpose. But she sure did have Guillermo's nose. She looked like a daughter, Someone more directly related to Guillermo than a niece. Family could be funny that way. Claire cupped the mug in her hands as if she were absorbing the heat, smelled the brew, and looked Barbeau in the eyes and said, So I know we've never directly spoken, email doesn't count, but I wanted to look you in the eyes and make 100% sure that you're good with me staying on here. Your uncle may have insisted, but I want to be positive that this is your decision, something of your own free will. Absolutely. To be honest, I've been going a little crazy up here, and the thought of you being here with me, it, I don't know, anchors me somehow. Claire smiled that odd, intense smile she'd been doing for the past half hour. It was as if the last thing Barbeau said was an inside joke to her. Claire said, good to hear. Do you prefer Josephine or Joe? Neither, she screamed internally. Those names are horrible. But then, to her surprise... Barbeau said, everyone calls me Joe. Everyone calls me Joe. Only your uncle called me Josephine. Well, him and Guillermo. Guillermo, Claire said. Yeah. Claire paused and sipped her tea. Barbeau thought Claire's eyes were welling, and that was all it took. 
crying could be viral. Barbeau felt it pass through the air like a wave. Then she was filled with a sadness to the very depths of her, the longing void in her life, and she poured it out. She wept. It wasn't a typical mourning cry, or one of her crazy cries of late. It was a soul-deep sobbing, irrepressible and abandoned. Time stopped meaning anything. Barbeau cried, lost herself in it, so deep it became a physical pain. When it subsided some unmeasurable amount of time later, Barbeau found that she was on the floor, weak from the purge, and Claire was holding her, petting her hair, whispering assurances. Barbeau apologized for the outburst, but then saw that Claire, too, had been crying deeply. Tears tracked her face, and snot had built up in her nose. Barbeau pulled a rag from the pocket of her overalls and handed it to Claire, who promptly blew with a loud toot that sounded like a Marine's bugle. I miss him too, my Guillermo, Claire said to Barbeau. Oh God, Barbeau said. What? We're a perfect match, aren't we? Crying in a heap? We're fucking doomed. Yeah, Claire agreed. They both laughed, straightened themselves up, and drank some tea as a fresh snow started to dust the windowsill. Welcome to the old dame, Barbeau finally said. Then she added, I'm going crazy up here, you know, by myself. She said it with no irony, no call for sympathy, just the bare truth she'd been trying to get to. Not just this crying, I'm seeing things, having nightmares. I don't eat, I can't sleep. I try to work on restoring the old dame every day, but it's too much. And it's not enough. I need more than just tile saws. I mean, Teddy and his guys do most of the work, but Claire cut Barbeau off and asked, Teddy? Sorry, yeah, my contractor. He's really brought this place back to life, but he only comes up when the storms allow him. Claire said, interesting. That makes sense, yeah. He probably has a lot of other work to do unless the storms force him inside. I'm sorry to dump all this on you, Claire. You just got here and must be jet-lagged. Nonsense. Why do you think you're going crazy? Tell me about these nightmares. Barbeau wondered where to even begin. She figured a good place to start would be getting up from Claire's lap where she'd been since they both broke down. They both picked up their tea and moved back to the table. It started with the death of Guillermo. I couldn't get past some sort of intense mourning stage. Being up here alone surely didn't help, but I had Alfie and your emails, and I acted like that was enough. But then nightmares and sleeplessness came, and, and both are waters I'm unfortunately comfortable navigating, so I brushed it off, but lately... Barbo said and shivered. Claire poured some fresh tea and put a palm on the back of Barbo's hand. It was a hard palm, a thing of experience and years of hard work. It didn't seem like the hand of someone so young. Lately, Claire asked. It's been like waking dreams, hallucinations, panic attacks. I can't leave the dame without my body completely rebelling. I saw these people like priests in the stairwell the other day and I woke up here in the apartment and nothing was as it seemed like it never happened and I was missing time or something I can't explain it I just keep getting worse Claire asked have you thought about medical care do you have a reliable doctor or a therapist that can help I did back in the city Barbo said but there it was she brushed against it the city what city can I tell you a secret Claire asked Please, God, yes, talk, tell me something. I feel like I'm losing it too. I mean, admittedly, I'm not having as rough a time as you are, but I feel like the weight of the world is on me. I mean, 
Everyone on Earth, even the dolphins, are watching me, waiting for my next move, seeing how I'll live up to the family reputation. Did she say dolphins, Barbeau wondered? She didn't interrupt. Claire continued. I feel like I'm totally out of my depth. Like I have this future now, this grand plan that the entire human race has for me, but it's like, how the hell do I live up to it? How do I help open the lariat, she asked. Barbeau started to ask what she meant by a lariat, and Porthos suddenly whined and peed all over the floor. Porthos! Oh my god, I'm sorry, I haven't taken them outside in hours. Feel free to stay up here and unpack and I'll be right back. No, no, I'd love to come with. I might just stay on the patio to keep out of the white stuff and stay dry though. Barbeau called the dogs and they all walked down the hall to the grand staircase, through the lobby, and out the front doors. The dogs pounced into the snow and made their way to the little thick copse of pine trees nearby where the ground was clear and they could do their business. Luckily, they weren't fans of yellow snow when they could avoid it. It's gorgeous up here, Claire said. I see why you don't want to leave. I can't leave. Not that I don't want to. Let me show you something cool. Well, Teddy and I think it's cool, but apparently we're building nerds, she said. They walked back in and the dogs sprinted to get into the lobby before the humans left them. Claire and Barbeau went behind the front desk of the dame where all the photos were spread out. The light was magnificent down here and it was nice to organize these pictures from time to time when the stray mood settled in. There were hundreds of photographs that she and Guillermo had found in the boiler room and attic. They were ancient, a hundred years old some of them. They showed manly men with wild facial hair and so many hats, wool clothing, their world looked so stuffy and restricted. The photos were laid out in what Barbeau had reconstructed as chronological order. The first people up here near Lake Akunga, the laying of the foundation of the old dame, the rise and fall of a small semi-city that grew around the construction, the time when it was a logging camp, the time when it became the stately hotel, some photos from an artist who took pictures in the 1980s when it was a derelict space filled with used condoms, empty beer bottles, and graffiti. Pictures of the remodeling after she and Guillermo bought it. Then a handful of pictures of the fire damage, newspaper clippings announcing the dead. And finally, photos taken of Teddy, Manny, and Junior rebuilding it. This last batch was highly pixelated and printed on Barbeau's inkjet printer. This is it, Barbeau said. The whole ball of wax. This is all I know to be true. This place. This horrible and magnificent place. We'll get her back up, Joe. The halls will be filled with laughter and couples and ski trips and summer campers. You and me and Teddy? Claire asked, pointing to a photo of Teddy. Barbeau nodded that yes, that was Teddy. And Claire continued. You and me, we aren't like regular women. You are trained to be here, to do this very important job. I've been equally trained. You are uncertain you're right for this job anymore. I'm uncertain I've ever been right for mine. And we both think everyone else is waiting for us to fail. But you know what? Fuck them. That's what. You and me, sister, we've got each other and your dogs and the world can eat shit. We have a hotel to open and a legacy to warden and no one, human or otherwise, is going to stop the two of us. Barbeau smiled and hugged Claire. Then she hugged Claire even tighter until Claire laughed a little. Barbeau said, I hope this isn't insulting, but I was expecting a pampered girl from a nice family, not a hard ass. You are not what I was expecting, Claire Campana. Claire smiled and said, You are not what I was expecting either, Josephine Campana. 
For one thing, I thought you'd be Chinese. So as Josephine becomes Barbeau, we leave another chapter of Mindframe. And as always, I want to thank you for listening. Um, if you like what I'm writing and you, you like this kind of sci-fi, you can check out my other book, 181 Pine, which you can find at mindframepodcast.com. It's the first book in a different trilogy of sci-fi set in a different universe. And if you like the, uh, the sit-downs and Zach Smith, he's got several books that you can find on our website as well, um, along with some really cool merch. Uh, so go check it out. Go to mindframepodcast.com, poke around, and see what you can find. Um, we always like to shout out some other podcasts while we're at it. First off, uh, myself and Brent and our other partner, Brad Taylor, have the Sofa King podcast, which is a a podcast um, where we research and uh, it's very not safe for work. It's a comedy podcast where we dig into a topic and talk about a new one a couple times a week. And also Brewing the 99, which is uh, our partner Brad's uh, other uh, podcast about Magic the Gathering. Um, so if you're into MTG, you might want to want to check that out. As always, we are a member of the Podbelly Network, and you can find some really cool podcasts on that network. So regardless of what you're into, you're certain to find something there. If you go and poke around, you'll find a lot of stuff. You can play directly from them, or you can sort of use it as a, as a way to point to whatever your favorite app is. But uh, one great one is Robot for Eyes, which comes out of the UK. Um, and another one that I actually recently did a guest spot on is At Least There's Coffee, so if you like this and you don't mind hearing my voice, then at least uh, there's coffee myself and uh, Alex Marino sat down for an interview. Uh, Patty, the other uh, member of the trio, was out um, due to an injury and some some scheduling uh, errors. But you can find me there if you want to find at least there's coffee. You'll find the episode with, with David Moten. Um, as always, if you like, if you share, if you comment, if you engage on social media, it helps us so much more than we can possibly uh, let you understand. So if you uh, visit us on Mindframe Podcast on Facebook, on Instagram, we are The Mindframe Podcast. On Twitter, we are The Mindframe Pod. And on Reddit, we are r slash Mindframe Podcast. So thanks as always for listening. Go buy some delicious El Yucateco and put it on your food and you'll be very happy. And as always, remember, the lariat is closing.